This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Hi, my name is Peter Tomasi. Hi, this is James Hyman IV. Hi, I'm Dan Jurgens. Hey, I'm Duff Wood. This is Jim Lee. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Mark Hamill speaking. This is Kevin Conroy. This is Tim Sale. Hello, everyone. I'm Batman, and you're listening to my podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, Season 12, Episode 11, Legacy Episode 298. Today we're going to be talking about Curse of the White Knight. So I am Ian, and with me I have my co-hosts. This is Steph. And this is Theo. So we have one piece of news that I wanted to talk about just a little bit, which is that episode 300 is coming. We're going to be doing, similar to last month, three episodes next month. We'll be doing normal comics for the first and third episodes of June, but the the middle episode will be episode 300, and we'll be celebrating 300 episodes of the Batman Universe comic podcast with special reviews of the Catwoman and Joker 80th anniversary 100-page Super Spectaculars and two special guest segments. Possibly more, but right now we're just planning on two. Be sure to ask any questions or comments or whatever you want to say. have read on the episode for listener feedback, tagging it episode 300 in the Discord server. I'm very excited about episode 300 because I think that both the Joker and the Catwoman specials will be pretty cool to review. That'll be, let me see, 20 stories that we're going to be reviewing. It's going to be a lot of stuff, plus we'll probably talk about the, the covers and all sorts of cool stuff. So a celebration of the Batman universe in the comics on a podcast. I think it's pretty fitting. Any uh, comments before we move to our review segment? I'm really excited, and I think that people should definitely write in their questions and comments and tell us how awful we've been doing the last few years or how great we've been doing or what you wish to see more of or less of or whatever. Just definitely message us and let us know that you're listening. That is going to be quite a review I have to write. (laughs) Well, we shall get started in our review of... Batman Curse of the White Knight, written and illustrated by Sean Murphy, colored by Matt Hollingsworth, same creative team as the first White Knight miniseries. Again, it's going to have eight issues, and we'll go through all eight issues and then go through our discussion questions. We had a lot of good things that we thought of when we were preparing for the podcast, so I'm excited to talk about it. Issue one. The tale of the curse of the White Knight begins 300 years ago when Edmund Wayne kills the evil vampire Lafayette Laffey Arkham in a battle for Gotham Valley. In the present, the Joker escapes from Arkham intent on exposing dark secrets, meeting with Ruth, a representative of a powerful group of Gotham elites. 
Batman plans on to reveal his identity to Gotham and thinks his crusade is over. But the Joker's escape causes him to start researching the battle between Wayne and Laffy. Jean-Paul Valley, an old military veteran, is diagnosed with cancer. Seeking help at a church, he meets Joker, who tells him to save the world by killing Bruce Wayne. Let's get nuts. Tell me something, my friend. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What? Issue two. In the past, Edmund Wayne is rescued from prison by a priest claiming to be part of the Order of Dumas, taken to America and trained to be the Order's weapon. In the present, Ruth visits Bruce and tries to blackmail him into giving up his plan to reveal the truth about Batman. Jim Gordon runs for mayor, but his campaign is derailed by the Joker. In the face of Bruce's defiance, Ruth equips Jean-Paul in his assassination attempt on Bruce. Batman discovers that Harley is pregnant with Jack Napier's child and returns to the Batcave, only to be caught in Azrael's trap as Wayne Manor explodes above him. What is the point of all those push-ups if you can't even lift a bloody log? Issue 3. Batman survives Azrael's first attack, revealing his identity to the GTO and Harley to recruit them in his plan to fight back. Joker, back at Arkham, finds out about Harley and Jack's babies, but it can't bring Jack back. As Batman and Harley dig into the secrets of Edmund Wayne, she goes into labor. Meanwhile, in Azrael's second attack, he kills Jim Gordon. Issue 4. Barbara and Batman mourn Gordon as Montoya takes over the GCPD. Leslie Tompkins gives Batman Edmund Wayne's journal as Barbara and Bullock seek revenge against Azrael. However, the attack ends in disaster as Batman tries to stop Barbara from murder, but as a result, she is severely injured. Oh, man. Lister. Call an ambulance! Dad. Barbara? Issue 5. During Gordon's funeral, Batman searches Gotham Harbor for more clues to Edmund Wayne's history, causing more friction between himself and his allies. Harley interrogates Joker, but without Batman, Jack is able to push through Joker's hatred and talk to his wife, uncovering more pieces of the Wayne past. Azrael kills Ruth and a huge number of Batman's villains, claiming the title of Batman. We both know that I have to kill you now. Issue 6 Joker joins Azrael as Batman tries to keep Harley safe. He then visits Jason Blood, a knight of St. Dumas, who tells him that the priest who recruited Edmund Wayne was actually a heretic of the Order who corrupted Edmund's morals. However, before he could learn more, Harley calls him for help as Joker has stolen the twins. Batman takes her back to Arkham, currently a war zone, and she faces Joker herself as Batman fights Azbats. Joker and Jack war for control of Joker's body, but in the end, Harley is forced to kill them both at Jack's request. 
See you in hell. <laughs> Issue 7. Batman tells Harley he's discovered the truth, that the priest murdered Edmund and took his name, and that the Wayne family in Gotham has never actually been Waynes. He struggles with this knowledge, and Harley tries to convince him that Gotham, which forgave Jack, can forgive Bruce too. Bruce tells Barbara of his plan to unmask and asks for her help. Montoya announces a citywide manhunt for Azrael, and Batman hijacks the broadcast with Babs' help, unmasks, and asks for the city's help to beat Azrael in Batman's final crusade. All these years I wanted to kill him. Now I can't. Your father would be ashamed of you. Issue 8. Batman and the GCPD chase Azrael, but Batman shuts down all cars but his own so that he can fulfill his own private vengeance. Azrael is winning, but Dick Grayson saves Batman, pleading with Bruce not to break his vow not to kill. Batman tells Dick that Azrael intends to flood the city and continues his battle with swords. He cuts Jean-Paul's throat, but then gives him emergency treatment and saves his life. In return, Jean-Paul reveals that just as Bruce was descended from the wicked priest, the Valley family was descended from Edmund Wayne's illegitimate daughter. After it's all over, Bruce surrenders to Montoya and donates his fortune to Gotham, though Harley tries to rescue him and reveals her love for Bruce. In prison, Bruce is visited by a military man with the last name Todd. So this was the follow-up, as we said, to Batman White Knight. It was about a year later, and it took some very, I would say, bold steps in the continuity definitely things that i think we're never going to see killing off so many villains and heroes batman unmasking and i i honestly think we're also never going to see a bruce and harley relationship but that's uh, another question (laughs) um so what do you think of all of these changes particularly the major deaths gordon bane joker so many villains uh, how do they make the universe of White Knight feel going forward to you? Well, I was sort of thinking that. I was like, so because the end of the issue, the end of this run, whatever, gives you the feeling that the next step is like a courtroom drama. <laughs> and so, yeah, like all the villains are dead. You've got Neo Joker and Joker's dead. Harley killed Joker, shot him in the face. You've got Mad Hatter, and that's it. <laughs> I mean, Poison Ivy's some. around. No, she got, she got, she got. No, the Poison Ivy no. League tweeted at Murphy, and he said he left her alive so they wouldn't scream at him. Oh, Pasha. Okay, fine. And Poison Ivy's fine, even though she got very much <laughs> shot. But anyway, so in that case, any of them could be alive, really. Um but I don't know. I just was wondering what kind of story we'd have going forward. Like, is, you know, Quilt King or whatever he is, Polka Dot King, whatever, whatever their names are. <laughs> Condiment King, is he going to be the next bat? I don't know. I was a little intrigued by him pretty much wiping out his, his rogues gallery but, and wiping out Batman. <laughs> so what's what's left to come other than prequels? I don't know what he's going to do in this universe. <laughs> I mean, he could actually focus on Dick and Babs because, honestly, 
even though Babs got a little more focus this issue, it was really more as uh, Gordon's daughter. It was never as Batgirl. So, mm-hmm. some like, what does Babs do? What does Dick do going forward with the mantle? And heck, remember we like Duke in this universe, so we could see some Duke <laughs> That's stuff. True. So, That's uh, true. They even joke about how he should have been a Robin. <laughs> uh, I still think Lark is cooler just because it's a bird, but it's its own thing. But uh, Theo, what do you think about all the, the major deaths and how it makes the universe feel going forward? Well, well as, we, as we mentioned last episode, this is one of the things that I absolutely love about alternate universes. Um, the fact that you can you can take continuity as you know it and just twist it and turn it and throw it up in the air and just see what lands and what fits and what doesn't. Um, yeah, it was quite gory just, you know, watching the blazing sword slice through all villains, you know, in Arkham. But, you know, it made the story different. You know, because, again, you, you don't expect to see that in in main continuity. And it seems, you know, if if I remember uh, Murphy saying that, you know, once they're dead, they're, they're dead in this universe. So, you know, we probably won't be seeing these guys again in, unless there's some type of flashback. But, you know, call me weird, but I, I, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, no, I'm looking at uh, Ivy is fire sorted through her heart. Unless she, <laughs> I didn't think that was is that. I thought that was someone else. Cause didn't she have the name Sutton? Zoom and enhance. It looks like Carly. She has red hair and she's female, and you know that really narrows it down. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, again, I'm looking at a floppy, so I can't. I can't zoom in. I mean, I am not a Poison Ivy fan, per se, so I don't really care if she's dead or alive. I just know I saw Murphy talking on you, Twitter about it. You are correct. It does say Sutton on her thing, but she looks... I don't even... Who's Sutton? Why does she deserve her own panel? Because death and destruction. <laughs> if it was before it went to printer, they're like, crap, people are going to get mad. <laughs> Take out <laughs> Isley and replace it with something else. That is quite possible. I my own answer to this question is I feel like this leaves the universe feeling kind of empty. Yeah. Now, if he does focus on non-Bruce characters, particularly Dick and Babs and Jason, Jason Todd, I think you could actually fill that up because there's plenty of villains who are more focused on those those characters rather than Batman directly. People like Calculator and all the Bloodhaven villains for Dick. And Jason's had so many adventures that you could easily have a lot of different villains that come up. But killing so many of the big name, the brand name villains. I read a really great essay by, um, oh, what's his name? He's a guy who does the web, who did the web comic DM of the Rings. Anyway, he wrote uh, an essay about why Batman doesn't kill, and it's because Batman is a story designed to go on forever. So that means there always has to be a need for Batman. Mm -hmm. 
This is a story which says that Batman actually solves a bunch of problems by stopping being Batman. And obviously you can't tell that story in main continuity because then there's no more mm-hmm. Batman stories. Mm-hmm. I, I actually disagree with this perspective. I think Batman is an inspirational figure and... I don't think he creates all the problems. I think he does create some of the specific problems, but Gotham was bad before he got there and it wasn't getting better. So I think that this is a is a fun a fun thought experiment, a th- a fun alternate universe, but I definitely wouldn't want to see this kind of thing happen in the main universe just because I like Batman continuing to be an inspirational figure fighting for uh protecting the innocent and punishing the guilty. Okay, so Roxanne Sutton is Roxy Rocket. Oh, man, they so. killed Roxy Rocket? They killed Roxy Rocket, Roxy Rocket, which is that, almost worse. That's I like hardcore. Her poison ivy. <laughs> and the, I just want to say, because I've been kind of a proponent of deceased, where they do literally kill everybody, but that's the DC universe. And so you've got just this, you know, whole universe of of heroes and and to pull from and bad guys or whatever that's left over although i haven't been keeping up but i haven't read it lately but anyway but in the batman universe i think you're right like it is left a little empty and i'm interested to see where he's going with it but i won't be shocked if it's disappointing (laughs) so what do you think the best parts of these two series the the murphy verse as a whole are and what are some of the weaknesses for you Hmm. Like we, I, th- I think, I mean, just repeating myself, but, you know, him being able to have the freedom to do whatever he wants, to kill off whoever he wants and tell whatever kind of story he wants is, does give you a strength and an upper hand in storytelling that, you know, the ongoings have to work around. So I do enjoy like reading stories I won't ever read in, in the ongoings. And that, for me, the weakest actually, and this last one kind of brought it, to light was there's a lot of nods to previous Batman media and there's not a lot that really takes me out of a story like super bad art usually ruins it for me but there's not too much other than giant chunks of monologue usually but in this one there's just little things here and there like like I don't know there's a scene where Montoya is like don't do that it's nuts and then Bruce is like let's get nuts and I'm like ugh like in the Lego Batman movie. And I don't know. It just took me out of a bit. And I think that for me, and then there was a couple of things here and there that just kind of, you know, were little nods to other media, which is cute. But I don't know. For me, I didn't like that as much. I liked it being its own original thing without having to refer to other stuff. Well, yeah. I, I For me, again, just going back to the whole notion of the alternate universe, as Steph mentioned, that's one thing. But what also really was shocking, but also very good in how it was handled, uh, was the rele- revelation that Bruce isn't a Wayne uh, mm-hmm. and how that all came about. And he did, and, and Murphy did a great job of leading into that that revelation and and it was a good shock value for me. The weak part for me, and we kind of talked about it offline before the, before the episode was how certain characters were portrayed. And, you know, my biggest, my biggest quip was 
with how Jim Gordon was handled. Um, he was kind of dumbed down to the fact that, oh yeah, he's the police commissioner, but yet he couldn't realize he was he wasn't good enough to realize Babs was his daughter. You know, in continuity, you know, I've always had this sense that, you know, he knew, but, you know, he didn't know and he didn't want to know. Whereas this one, he just was just too dumb to know from how from how Murphy portrayed it. So that didn't sit well with me. Um, and that was probably the weakest part. I think there were, it's interesting because there is one canon incontinuity revelation that Barbara was Batgirl to Jim Gordon. And it was unfortunately retconned almost immediately. But when Jim retired in Officer Down and Barbara was Oracle in Birds of Prey, she told Jim that she was Batgirl. And uh, I believe, it's been a while, but I'm pretty sure that Jim said, oh yes, I already knew that. And I, I feel like that really should be the way you play that off. I I think the strongest part of this universe for me is the art. It's overwhelmingly Sean Murphy and Matt Hollingsworth, but you also have the one one shot by Klaus Jensen. And the art is just such a high quality. It's it's imaginative. It's incredibly just sticky. It sticks in your eye. It sticks in your mind. It's both beautiful and ugly and energetic, and it never feels static. Like some of the things like a, a really rendered artist like Alex Ross or Leo Bermejo, they can often feel like pictures of statues that aren't moving. Whereas Murphy isn't nearly as realistic, but he's just got that sense of moving all all the time. And I, I, I prize that. That's really much more important than realistic rendering for me in a, in a comic book interior. Uh, I don't mind it on a cover. I think a cover should have like really nice renderings, like art germ or something. But for me, it's, it's definitely the art. I think the weakest part for me, especially in the second part, is... I think a lot of the, the deaths, particularly Gordon, rely on the love we have for those characters in the main universe. We don't really know Gordon in this universe. We just assume that he's the Gordon we love from the main comic universe, and that's why we're sad. And we do get that one issue where Barbara remembers all the things about her dad, but that's the kind of thing that should have been before. We, we should have cared about Gordon in this universe before he dies. And instead, that was right after. And let's let's use that to move to our next question, which is how does Gordon's character work for you in this world, and how does his death affect you? We've already talked about the revelation of Babs, but what about Gordon by himself? Do you think that Murphy gives us a, a Gordon who's basically just the main universe transported to this this version, or do you think that there is a distinct quality about this James Gordon which sets him apart? Well, we barely get to know him. I mean, like you said, other than the few flashbacks we get later, like he's dead by the second issue. And I don't necessarily see, I mean, again, I'm still newer to comics, but I don't really see this Jim Gordon running for mayor. <laughs> I think that's really cool. So that's not necessarily something, I don't think he's just like a stamp trend or copy, carbon copy transported from one to the other. But he's probably very similar, and his heart is probably very similar. 
So I think we are supposed to care for him. But since he came and went so quick in this, I I just kind of compared him earlier to like a refrigerator girlfriend, like someone who's only, she was only meant as a plot device. And in this one, he just was there and gone so quick. They just established him as trusting Bruce, their compatriots, and then he's dead. And that's meant as a blow to Batman. Like if, if it had been portrayed as, if Gordon had become mayor, he could have actually done some series, which, which I guess they kind of they touch on that a little bit. But in the end, the main thing is just take something away from Batman. And it's a little sad because I think a lot of characters, you know, need to be their own people, their own thing. And in in a limited series, you are just limited <laughs> on the amount of space and time that you have to tell a story. So you do have to work with what you've got, but it just did make me a little sad that he just really seemed to just be a plot device in this one. To me, that's how I read it. Yeah. You know, even if, even if we throw in the eight issues of white Knight, you know, where he, you see him a little bit more, you know, throughout the eight issues and he, he he does have that those leadership qualities, uh, but he also has you know that fatherly quality. You know, right before his death in, in issue two, you know he he says you know tell Barbara that I'm proud of her and I love her. But you know I I, I guess the best term is kind of how Steph mentioned almost like a plot device, uh, especially in. Uh, Curse of the White Knight. And again, he's only there uh, two issues, not counting the flashbacks. So it's hard to really put a finger on it, other than the fact that you know, he wasn't that good of a cop to know that his daughter was Batgirl standing right next to him. <laughs> to be fair, though, he does degrade him. Not degrade. What's the word? He does put himself down for that. He's like, "Dang it, I'm the world's worst detective for not seeing this." I think I, I mean, mostly that's... just agree with you two. I think you guys have done a great job of sort of the, I think he's kind of a weak point because Ruby sets up some really great situations, him finding out that Barbara is Batgirl and um, him running for mayor. I think those are both, you could do a whole mini series on just those concepts, you know, yeah. and mm-hmm. those are gone in an issue and then he dies. It's like all those, all the potential is just, you know, to serve the story. And I understand serving the story, but I feel like you shouldn't introduce ideas that are that interesting to just throw them away. It sort of leaves me a bit unsatisfied with that part of the story. But I think, I mean, I love Jim Gordon. He's one of my favorite characters. And I think there was just so much potential here. And of course, he, he looks awesome. Because as I said, the, the art is the best part of the series. And that is with every character and Jim. Well, with maybe one exception, which we'll get to. But um, <laughs> I think I think James Gordon just looks like a grizzled, edge, edgy but honorable cop, and he just looks great. What do you think the time frame of this story is? Do you think it's contemporary, like you know, roughly late twenty tens, or do you think it's a past period because you do have things that hint at it being in a previous era? And, of course, it references things like the Batman 89 movie 
Given that Mr. Freeze was a child in World War II in the Von Freeze one-shot, please subscribe to Patreon to find out more of that. Do you think that this should be seen as he's, he's a normal older adult, so this might be 70s or 80s? Or do you think that he, his experiments have given him a longer life, that he's frozen in place, pun intended? Well, I did kind of pay attention to that because I was curious. And, and it did seem like he had some kind of age stopping. I don't know. There was something about his age not being quite right. But once he, once he took the helmet off, I think he was aged up to his normal self. And he was still alive. And World War II ended 75 years ago. So, I mean, it's possible that it's contemporary. But... Golly, like I was just looking at some of the art and some of the computers that people are using have like floppy drives on the desktop, <laughs> like on the desktop. <laughs> and like, when's the last time you saw someone with a vertical, no, horizontal desktop desktop? Like they're all vertical under the desk. So why we don't call anyway, whatever. And so I just don't. And that, none of the technology real, really seemed all that advanced. I mean, they had GPSs and they had laser-guided batarangs, but there was nothing all that new that this is fairly, not ageless, obviously, but, you know, this could be 90s, which is an interesting time to put it, like, like late 90s, early 2000s. I don't know why he'd pick that time, but I think that's interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of thinking it's probably... 80s, 90s, and and the only reason why, you know, since since Steph was talking, I was flipping through pages, and you know, in several issues outside of the Batmobiles, um, a lot of the vehicles seem more boxy than today's vehicles. So I'm 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 guessing it's kind of more in the past than being contemporary. Um, which I think is fine, you know, especially considering uh, Freeze's role in the overall story going back to uh, Volume 1 as well as the Von Freeze one-shot. But I, I, since Steph initially brought it up offline and again a few minutes ago, I just started scanning the pages. And, and for some of the vehicles that I did see, those cars were primarily, you know, more boxy, which was kind of the thing back in, you know, back in the eighties, uh, early nineties. So I could see it being in that time frame. And I think I like that. I like it when it's more about. I mean, not that there was much detectiving in this at all, <laughs> but when it's more physical instead of digital, I just I like that. Instead of, you know, I did a scan. Now I know who did it and where he was and blah 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 blah. It's like, oh, well, that's boring. If you have a computer that can do it all, you're not the world's greatest detective. Yeah, I like that. I like that. So, what do you think of the Bruce Harley relationship? Is it <sighs> cheating to have a female Joker have a romance with Batman, or do you think that this is a fun uh, path forward for this universe and these characters? I don't think I've ever thought of Harley as the female Joker. Like, I know that's kind of what they had set her up as, sort of, his henchman-ish. I I don't know. Maybe it's because I came in so late to end them that I just see her as her own person. 
And so for me, it wasn't like cheating to get Joker (laughs) and Batman together in a moderately acceptable fashion. (laughs) But it was, I thought it was kind of cute. It developed semi-naturally. It is a little weird that she's already kind of confessing her crush a little bit before her husband's even like dead. (laughs) So it was a little awkward. Uh, Anyway. um, In their their holding hand not too long after. Oh, they were like touching. They're doing their like. Oh, I guess that's not a Jack Rose thing because they were on the same side of the glass. But you know, touching hands through the glass. I mean, it was cute. I think it's weird as a as a lifelong Batcat shipper. You know, it doesn't bother me too much just because it's so weird. But I'd be interested to see where it goes. It's not. It's definitely nothing we'd get in continuity. So hey, if we're gonna get it, this is the time and the place, right? And it's definitely possible to happen. You know, Jack is no longer in the picture. He's dead. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Holly, I guess, is going to has had her time to grieve over it. Uh, but the seeds were definitely planted far before she she pulled the trigger uh, with the conversations that she had with Bruce and the fact that she was always just so comfortable uh, when he was around, you know, there were several issues where, you know, he was in her place and she was in the bathrobe, you know, and I've never seen Holly as a, as a female joker, but then again, I'm also not a huge Holly fan. So I've never, you know, really analyzed that question too much, even from a main continuity standpoint, but if this relationship is going to happen and, and as it stands now, it looked like it will, at least we were able to see it develop mm-hmm. you know, naturally. Uh, it just wasn't a bam, here it is, you know, we're boyfriend and girlfriend now. Um, <laughs> so it will be interesting to see what Murphy does next. And who knows, he may just throw an entire wrench into it, you know, via Jezebel Jet popping up or um Selena Kyle showing up or something as he goes into this next volume of the White Knight universe. I think that for me I just and it's kind of hypocritical because I love, you know, Jane Austen novels and most of those are, you know, seventeen to twenty year old girls and 25 to 38 year old men but uh harley being in her early 30s and batman being in his 50s is just i don't know it feels kind of weird to me i think that it is however one of the most well-written parts of both of these series because i think murphy really cares about bruce harley and joker as characters and he's really delved into their psychologies He's really spent the most time building them up as unique versions of these characters rather than, as we talked about, James Gordon being sort of ported in from other versions. Like the Gordon you see there is the same Gordon that you might see in, um, you know, Gordon of Gotham or GCPD or Nightfall. Like that is the Gordon. It is a Gordon we've seen before. This Batman, this Harley and this Joker are not batman joker and harley that we've seen in other versions they are very 
detailed in ways that the main continuity have different details. And I think that is a really good use of an alternate universe. So it's not necessarily an idea I would want to necessarily see before I read this, but after this, I am intrigued. I am curious to see how it goes. Cause I think this Batman is still a bit too broken to have a, a normal relationship, but I think that he does seem to care about Harley and Harley definitely cares about him. So, and I, I would also agree. I don't think Harley is just the female Joker. I think that some people make that claim, but it's, it's too shallow and doesn't really, consider who harley is in any incarnation harley's never the symbol of nihilistic chaos that joker is she's a symbol of exuberant anarchy or you know rebellion she, she's never the kind of destruction even at her worst even at her most new 52 nihilistic edgelord she's not the joker so i think it's a i think it's a strong part of this miniseries and i i think it's good going forward do you think that the next story will leave Batman in jail and will focus on other characters? Or do you think that Batman will feel the need, as in Dark Knight Returns, to become Batman again? Hmm. I think he's going to do some soul-searching if he's going to be Batman again. And I think that will... I'm hoping that we're in for an interesting story in the next one, because I think it's one of those things that we... Adver- not advertised. It would be a bad advertisement. but But on the surface it's just like oh yeah it's a courtroom drama or or whatever and then what it, you know what it really is is you know the best i don't know character development character study of batman of all time or whatever and and involve you know a lot of flashbacks and maybe some prequel material and things we've never known or maybe you know spoiler for the very end maybe some of jason todd's history and maybe you know having closure with jason or whatever will help batman move forward in whatever way he's going to move forward so i think it'll i i'm hoping that if the story is weak in the next one it'll make up for it in interesting characters help and and like you said you know what what batman is going to do or what bruce is going to do now that he doesn't have a secret identity anymore or money I think, especially if we get another eight issue arc, uh, it's going to leave Bruce in jail for a while. And, you know, like Steph said, he'll probably do some soul surgeon. Um, yeah, but I could see, I could see Bruce being in jail, you know, at least half of an eight issue arc, if not more. Uh, if if Murphy is looking at dragging out the next phase of the Murphy verse, um, you know we may see Bruce in jail uh, for the entire of the series of the run uh, with some type of climatic event requiring him to requiring him to take the plunge and do what he needs to do to break out, get out, what have you. But I can see him being in there a while. Maybe it would be like a miracle on 34th street ending where it's, everyone comes out. I believe in Batman. I believe in Batman. <laughs> <laughs> I think that. I think it's probably most likely that he'll focus on other characters, but 
I hope that he does do development with Bruce. I just think that he, he's really brought Bruce to a very interesting place. And I would like to see how Bruce deals with the consequences of unmasking. Not just in terms of a court trial, but in terms of relationships with people. Like, obviously the Foxes probably already know, but... You know, the other Wayne Company employees and board members and executives and his, his business rivals and all the other elites that Ruth led. I think that seeing those consequences would be an interesting story that you obviously could never get in the main universe. Next question is, why is Jason Todd so ago? <laughs> and that is my phrasing of, a, uh, of another co-host's question. It was my question. Because yeah, Jason's awesome. my sweetie. Like, yeah, I know Dick's supposed to be, you know, oh, check out that butt or check out that arse or whatever that line is from Hot Fuzz. But um, I've always loved Jason because he's such a rebel and he's so cool. And then you get to the last panel, of the last issue, and it's like, ugh. <laughs> Time has not been good to you, man. <laughs> He looks like, I don't know, He's we kind of guesstimated, right, that he's probably in his late 30s, but he definitely looks way older than that. And I just got so excited because in the panel right before you see tiny, you see the shadow of the two people on the left. So the two people on the left are, are Jason and Bruce in his um, prison outfit, whatever uniform. But their shadow is, you know, the boy wonder and Batman. It's like, oh, it's Jason. And then you look at him and he's like, oh, <laughs> he has no hair. Where's his pretty hair? Which was one of my big <laughs> issues with with the Red Hood outlaws when they shaved his head. I was like, oh, why did you do that? Oh, no, no, it was Dick that shaved his head. Or did they both shave their head? They both shaved their heads. They and, both shaved their heads. And Kate shaved, shaved her head, too. I was not a fan of any of these buzz cuts. I just don't I like remember, buzz cuts. I remember there was a reason I stopped reading. <laughs> but it's like, where's your pretty hair? <laughs> anyway, that's, it's very, very shallow. And I, I, I get that. I know that. But it's comics. I want to enjoy looking at it. And Bruce has pretty hair. Bruce is in prison. Why can't? The younger man have pretty hair, whatever. I guess he's in the military. They don't they're not allowed to have pretty because hair. Because Jason has been off to war. Off to war. I know. Yeah, I just think he's a to a war torn character, yeah. you know, and, and I I think we'll get more of that backstory as Murphy moves along. But he just seems like his time in the military hasn't done him any justice. Mm-hmm. I mean you, you commented off air that he seemed really weathered. And I think this Jason, since Batman is in his 50s, this Jason could well be in his 30s, maybe even his late 30s, because he was the first Robin, I believe Murphy has said. Uh, yeah. Dick is actually the second Robin. And so Jason is older. He has been through a lot. And I think there's definitely story justification. I personally have always thought that Dick is the prettiest Robin. Tim is sort of normal, handsome. Damien is, you know, the genetic marvel of Talia and Bruce combined. And Jason's the most normal uh, to me in my headcanon. Of course, it changes from artist to artist, but that's just the way I've always thought. I don't think he's necessarily supposed to look quite as beat up as he does here in Curse of the White Knight. Why is the revelation of Bruce's ancestor not being a Wayne so important? 
And on a personal level, I mean, it's not. And I think, if I remember correctly, I forget sometimes what I read and what I was thinking while I was reading. <laughs> but it feels like his family and those who care about him and know him, like Dick, you know, reminds him, it's it doesn't matter. Like, the Waynes fought for, or maybe it was Harley. Anyway, they, they you know, the Waynes fought for what is good in the end. And and have have you know for at least the last two generations or whatever, and so that that's what he needs to focus on. But I, I can see like especially in today's world, even though like we discussed, this may not take place in today's world, but like image is everything. And if anyone finds a piece of dirty laundry in your past, they will use that to crucify you. And something like this is actually a pretty big deal. Where I mean, it just kind of makes me think of you know. Like apartheid in South Africa, where today's white landowners aren't the colonizers from, you know, whenever, but they are the ones that are now living on the land that wasn't rightfully theirs. No, what do you do? Do you make them? And 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 anyways, it's just a big mess over there. And so it's a big mess here, where it's like, well, this isn't the Wayne estate. Does he even have a right to, you know, give it away? And you could argue that he does because the Waynes made it what it is. And anyway, whatever. Um, so I think there is a bit of a lot of of legal and political upheaval that can result for a good, interesting story because of it. But on a personal level, absolutely not. It doesn't matter because Bruce Wayne is Bruce Wayne. And it doesn't matter if his last name is really whatever it was, backgammon or whatever the guy's name was. I personally think that this was just Murphy, Murphy's way of drawing a huge monkey wrench into the entire universe. You know, have have some type of event to add some shock value to the overall story. Um, I don't know about anyone else, but when I got to that page and I see, you know, I'm Edmund Wayne, written in blood. And I'm like, holy crap, what did I'm, what am I seeing here? You know, and I think that was, that's what Murphy was overall just trying to do. Just try to bring some shock to the story, some climax. This was the, the, this was it. This kind of brings everything to a head now. You know, this revelation that, you know, my family has lived a lie all these generations and you know how do I handle this you know it, it was it was it was a great revelation you know I have I have you know no qualms with him drawing the Murphy universe the Murphy Batman universe on its on its head the way it was what do you think I think that I wish it hadn't been quite as big a deal to Bruce just because we've had Batman finding out that Thomas was evil in a lot of different alternate universes recently in the Joker movie and in the Telltale games and in Batman Damned. And there's just this sense that Batman having evil ancestors, even really close evil ancestors, doesn't seem that surprising to us. I think maybe the idea of a court battle between Jean-Paul, although I don't think Jean-Paul has any family, so I don't 
I don't know if you could really have a big court battle of who really owns the Wayne land, the Wayne fortune, especially since Bruce gave it all away. So um, <laughs> I I don't know. It It felt like one of the weaker parts of the reveals to me just because I don't see how it matters. I mean, I'm entirely on Harley's side. I don't see why Bruce couldn't just say that happened in the past. I've always lived my life trying to be the best I could be. Maybe I don't have enough of a connection with, you know, my own past, my own family past, but I've always sort of felt that I make decisions based on my own experiences. And if I didn't experience it, it's a lot more difficult for me to feel like I was responsible for it. And I know other people feel differently. So I'm sure this definitely has impact for a lot of different people as Theo has well expressed. But for me, it was just not a big reveal for me. It was just kind of like, Oh, something bad happened in the past. I have tried to live a good life now. So I'll keep being Batman, but Bruce obviously feels differently. And I mean, this is a Bruce that's been Batman for almost 30 years. So I could definitely see him wanting to, to rationalize stopping being Batman for a lot of different reasons at this point. So, that is our coverage of Batman Curse of the White Knight. Let us know how you feel about this story. You can join our Discord. You can also join our Patreon and support us or give a one-time amount through PayPal. Our wonderful supporters this month are Gerald Green, Donald Townsend, Tim Garassi, Captain America, Karinas, Mary Garrett, Real No Deuces, Stanton's Grave, Brendan Roberts, Donovan Morgan Grant, Ed Grouse, Rob O, Ian Miller, Arturo Juarez, Stephanie Mounts, Joshua Latin, Lapin Bartoni, Hannah Gar, and Johnny McCloskey. Thank you to all of our supporters. You help us continue the Batman Universe comic podcast and all our other podcasts by uh, making us able to pay for server space. And we hopefully are going to continue producing the content that makes you our supporters. I donated this month too. Yay. Oh, well. <laughs> Take it out with Dustin. I don't update the, the supporters website. <laughs> but we'll say that Theo also is a, a <laughs> proud supporter and a very... Uh, we honor him for his uh, support of the Batman Universe comic podcast and the Batman Universe website. We're going to do a little recap bumper to sort of catch you up to speed on what the last few comics have been, both in Detective Comics and Batman number 91. So Detective Comics uh, 1021 and Batman number 91 in preparation for our next episode where we get back to our normal comics and leading mm -hmm. again to the Batman Universe comic podcast, episode 300. So, Theo, give us a, a quick recap of what happened in Detective Comics 1021. So in Detective Comics 1021, we, we see the continuation. Uh, this is actually part two of the uh, story arc with Two-Face, Bruce and Two-Face. And Two-Face is now the leader of this cult. Uh, who is uh, the cult of the coin. And uh, in this last issue, we see where Harvey reveals himself to Bruce at the Batcave. And uh, he and Bruce goes to uh, the Gotham Library where Bruce is looking for more evidence to try to see what, what 
Harvey's ultimate plan is because at that point, Harvey's kind of held back, uh, is holding back on Two-Face, again, based on the results of the coin flip. And as Bruce makes his way to the bottom, the basement of the Gotham City Courthouse, I'm sorry, I said the library, but it was actually the courthouse, Harvey is able to break out of his cuffs and break out of the Batmobile following Batman down into the uh into the basement of the courthouse and as soon as Bruce opens this sort of secret doorway uh to where it reveals the cult of the coin as I call them uh Two-Face reveals himself and uh riddles Batman with uh, bullets and uh we're left with Batman laying on the ground shot Batman number 91 is a continuation of Their Dark Designs the battle of Batman versus the designer and many villains reaching into the past we have this issue starting with the Joker's version of their meeting with the designer and how he killed him the Joker then calls his henchwoman and perhaps girlfriend we'll have to see how that plays out Punchline uh, the hot new character that everyone's really excited about, and says that everything's in place. Batman and Deathstroke fight, and Batman manages to beat Deathstroke um, through many very over-the-top stratagems, like plunging to their deaths until Deathstroke gives up. Catwoman, meanwhile, is working to counteract her own plan to rob Bruce Wayne of all his money that she concocted with the designer, and she joins up with Harley Quinn, and they manage to have some minor victories. In the end, we see that Riddler, who was one of the original, uh, let's see, I think five villains who met with the designer all those years ago, has decided to take the reins of the next phase. And that's where we end this issue. So what do we think will happen to conclude our Two-Face and designer stories and lead into the Joker War? Well, for the Two-Face, I hope that the courthouse collapses and everybody dies. <laughs> and that's the end of that. That'd be nice. Because that storyline is just... It had so much potential. Well, no, it didn't. It had a little potential. And then for Batman, I'm just excited to see Catwoman doing her thieving. And it be moderately Batman-sanctioned thieving. I think that would be cool. Um, I'm looking forward to two-thirds of the um, Gotham City Siren team-up. That's going to be neat, or continue to be neat. And I'm interested to see if Deathstroke is going to stick around and be a forced (laughs) um, good guy for a little bit, or at least work on the side of Batman for a little bit. I'll be interested to see if that happens. That's that's it. I'm not... I don't really care about the design. (laughs) I guess I'm interested to see what Joker's going to do, but... I'm just looking forward to the next issue for that one. Well, we, we kind of know if, if you're someone who reads the solicits that um, the the detective story is going to eventually incorporate the Joker as some sort of uh, perhaps some type of uh, mastermind 
you know, perhaps manipulating uh, Two Face. Uh, but what I'm what what I'm hoping is that Tomasi kind of gets it back together. Uh, the first the first issue of the arc was okay. I I, I gave issue uh, I want to say maybe three stars, and this issue um, was not as great. Uh, it kind of kind of fell by the wayside. So I'm I'm hoping as we get into the third issue of the arc that that he picks it up again and 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 makes it enjoyable. Um, and we shall see as it as it leads into uh, the Joker's appearance, and then eventually into uh, its role as a Joker War tie-in. For Batman, I am hoping to see a little bit more about Bruce's reaction to Catwoman's plans. You know. When, when, you know, we, we, we saw where at some point, you know, Selena reveals her plan to rob the Wayne fortune and, and Bruce, you know, revealing, oh, yeah, I already knew that. <laughs> but we, we never, we never really saw the after, the, the effects of that. You know, if we, if we looked at that cover from that issue, it was going to tear them apart, but, you know, we never really saw that happen. I, yeah. I would like to see just how, how JT continues this, this, this designer arc. And if we truly see him uh, make the designer a formidable villain that won't be easily forgotten once it's all said and done. Um, although it's possible that he may just wash away since most of the times when you're, when you're hearing people talk, or even when you hear, uh, JT talk, it's, it's a lot more about punchline than it is about the designer. But I hope we see, um, the designer become a truly formidable villain, uh, that will make this arc worth it as it leads into Joker War. I think those are good thoughts. I'm definitely not super invested in Two-Face leads a cult, just because we've seen a lot of cults before. Um, and obviously this can't be too big of a, a plot line unless Tomasi threads it into Joker War, which he could, but it feels like kind of an awkward segue. So I feel like it's going to get wrapped up pretty quickly. The designer thing, obviously the Joker stuff is leading directly into Joker War, but the designer, I think also, like Two-Face, is going to get wrapped up pretty quickly. Um, I've liked the character stuff we've gotten between Batman and Catwoman and Batman and the villains. But none of it has been, like, super memorable. So I think... I don't want to say they're both filler arcs, but they kind of are both filler arcs until we get to Joker, <laughs> Joker War. I'm not quite sure why they didn't just start with Joker War, although I think they're probably glad they didn't now because it would have been interrupted. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, it could be interrupted again depending on how things go, so we don't we don't know. And it's, it, it's interesting that maybe Nightwing might be the most interesting of the, of the 
Joker War tie-ins simply because, you know, it's already been hinted that, that Dick is supposed to return during Joker War. Yes, I'm looking forward to that very much. I need to go back and catch up again. Uh, catch like up I on which? Time. <laughs> Nightwing, because... Because the end of back. Rick is coming? <laughs> the end of Rick is coming. I, Rick. I... I mean, as as you know, I think that it's fun to read. Jurgens is doing a good job. But if there was ever a filler arc that should not have been fillered, it was the Rick storyline. They should not have filler, wasted... That's... I mean, it's all going to be reset. I mean, no one's going to, no one is going to refer back to the time of Uber Rick and think, oh yes, those were the days that we really want to remember as Nightwing. Yeah, it, it, it's. I mean, we had Uber Rick for what about a year now? Over a year. This is, okay. this is, this is super heavy. <sighs> with slightly better writing, I'm, 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 I'm like you as we, like Ian, as we see uh, Uber Rick's timeline slowly coming to an end. The story has gotten a little better, uh, more tolerable to read and follow. Uh, and as we we get closer to Dick's return, I'm, I'm definitely going to be uh, picking it up and and reading those pages to see when and how it all happens. I just hope that they have a good plan with Nightwing going forward. Um, I know Theo isn't excited about this, but Scott Snyder's done some pitches, both about Dick as Batman and just Dick as Nightwing. And I think both of those are very exciting because The Black Mirror is my favorite thing Snyder's ever written. I think it's a fantastic piece because I think his voice fits Dick much better than it fits Bruce and most other characters. Uh, it also fits Superman, interestingly. I thought his Superman Unchained was actually pretty decent, especially in the way he wrote Clark. So I think that whether they go with Snyder's plan or someone else, I just hope that they don't give us sort of a jogging-in-place Nightwing going forward. I think that we need to have a writer who has a very interesting multi-year plan to make Nightwing an exciting title again. And I normally don't say that because I think Dick has always had a title and I've generally not been super interested in when it wasn't uh, Grayson. But Nightwing fans deserve something big after this year of misery and boringness. So, So do you believe no matter what, once Dick returns that Nightwing is getting a new writer? I do... I mean, I think Jurgens might stick around for an arc or two, and I think that's fair. He's done a good job with what he was given, but I I think that DC is going to try and put someone big on Nightwing sometime in the next year. It won't be Snyder until after he's done with Death Metal, so Jurgens might actually have a full year, but I think they're going to try and do something big with him, and I hope it's... I hope they do, because I think that the Bat Books other than Batman and Detective, have been kind of lackluster. Well, Detective, too, has been kind of lackluster for the last couple of years. And we need some, some fire. We need some exciting things to talk about and uh, that aren't just Batman. I mean, I think Batman's been exciting, whether you liked it or not. It's been very interesting and controversial for well over five years. Um, actually, for 10 years. Yeah, let's go over 15. 
Morrison, Snyder, <laughs> and King have all been exciting and controversial and always been working really hard, um, whether you like what they do or not. And I have been on record by saying I don't like a lot of what Snyder and Morrison have done, and I don't like some of the things Tom King did. Tom King did. I just happen to like Tom King overall better than the other two. However, um, that's pretty much our recap. We're looking forward to concluding these storylines, and we'll be doing that with you folk listening starting next episode. New comics, new comics, yay. All right. So um, I actually just called my comic shop to make sure my pull list is all up to date, make sure I'm getting all the stuff I want. Um, Hope you guys do that, too. Yeah, email the DCBS, right? Yeah, and a list of nothing but cancellations. Oh, yeah, all this being canceled and resolicited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just hope that a lot of the titles I had ordered that hadn't started yet will still come out instead of just being digitals. I'm kind of bummed about some of the stuff I was collecting that's digital now. Anyway, um, and I, I'm not against digital. I just, if I'm collecting it physically, I would like a whole collection. Uh, <laughs> all right. Agree. So, um, until next time, I've been Ian. This is Steph. And this is Theo. And thank you for listening to the Batman Universe comic podcast. We'll see you next time.